ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೋ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂ ಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಮೇ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಪ್ರೊಟೆಕ್ಟ್ ಅಸ್ ಬೋಸ್ ದ ಟೀಚರ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ ಟಾಟ್ ಟುಗೆದರ್ ಮೇ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಗಿವ್ ಅಸ್ ದ ರಿಸಲ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಅವರ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ may we attain vigor together let what we study be illuminating invigorating may we not cavil at each other om peace 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 so we were on the last section of the kathopanishad the Uh, third section of this second chapter the kathopanishad has two chapters each with three sections so we are in the second chapter and the last section third section of the second chapter and in this um, section yama the lord of death who's been teaching the little boy nachiketa the secret of self knowledge is wrapping up things he is going to touch upon what is brahman the ultimate reality which he has already revealed um what is the knowledge of brahman how do we get the knowledge of brahman and what is the result so brahma brahma gyana uh, sadhana the practices and phalam results so this is what he is going to touch upon none of it is new he has already uh, talked about these in pretty good detail here and there across the upanishad now just wrapping it up it's uh, i shouldn't say this but slightly anticlimactic after the last um section which is full of such wonderful glorious mantras which um uh, talked about the nature of the ultimate reality and but the first one the opening mantra of this um section samsara the samsara which we are in is compared to this extraordinary tree the, the tree motif you know upside down tree where the the root is transcendent the root is in brahman and the branches and leaves are down here in this world manifest world um, in a real tree the root is down there uh, and of course the root is above in brahman above does not mean physically above it means uh, subtle or transcendent um, beyond our material nature so brahman is the root it's a philosophical way of saying brahman is the karana the cause that which the root as the root nourishes the tree similarly brahman is that which gives existence and uh, in, in sanskrit and hindi we say satta spurti satta means existence spurti means illumination or consciousness so this is um brahman gives this to this universe this universe appears samsara is actually sustained by brahman brahman is not against samsara this is an interesting thing to understand that uh, the ultimate reality is not against the appearance the rope is not against the snake it's in fact because of the rope that the error of a snake is possible the um, desert is not against the mirage it's because of the desert that the, the illusion of water in the desert in the mirage mirage is possible what is against the snake what is against uh, the um, uh, mirage the, the illusion of water in the desert knowledge you see we realize that it's not a snake it's a rope that knowledge cancels the illusory snake it's not really water 
it's just desert it's just an appearance of water that knowledge cancels the illusion of water now the two illusions are different once you realize it's not a snake actually the snake goes away you don't even see it you see the rope instead whereas in the case of a mirage you still seem to see water but you think oh it looks like water but it's no longer i, I don't think it is water anymore i know what it is similarly this samsara we are trapped we seem to be trapped in this samsara and shankaracharya gives uh, uh, such a vivid description of samsara and how awful it really is you know we we saw that last time we read through some of the commentary of shankaracharya where he gives a uh, sort of graphic and poetic description of the sorrows and troubles of samsara and um, how do you get out of it you get out of it by realizing the base the ground of samsara the reality behind samsara which is brahman how do you realize it as i am that i am that brahman uh, once we realize that we are free of samsara will it disappear like the snake or will it keep appearing like the mirage water both if you are in samadhi it will actually disappear you will not see the world you will not see the body mind and uh, you will be immersed in uh, the in pure consciousness pure being but when the senses are active when the mind becomes active and the senses become active and then you you see the world as it is before but the difference is this that you no longer consider it to be real you have found the reality and you consider that to be an appearance of that reality or you see that this world is nothing but brahman this world is an appearance brahman is the reality or even better the world is nothing but brahman brahman alone exists that we we realize and that is freedom that is freedom now we go on further the second mantra yadidam kimcha jagat sarvam prana ejati nishritam mahad bhayam vajramudyatam ya etad viduramritaste bhavanti all this universe that there is emerges and moves because there is the supreme brahman which is like a great terror like an uplifted thunderbolt those who know this become immortal um this mantra what it does first of all it complements the earlier one the earlier one showed us that brahman is the material cause of this universe is brahman alone Uh, which is the reality of this universe which appears as this universe in reality what is this universe it's brahman but brahman is also the intelligent cause of this universe in uh, what is the intelligent cause and material cause so the two kinds of causes um the um nimitta karana and upadana karana upadana karana like material cause like a carpenter makes a table out of wood the wood is the material table is the product the effect the cause is carpenter and wood carpenter is the intelligent cause and the wood is the material cause the intelligent cause the creator fashions the uh, product the table out of wood now in the table uh, only the material cause is there intelligent cause is not there so the carpenter is quite separate from the table but in the case of um, in this universe vedanta says the intelligent cause and the material cause are both one abhinna nimitta upadana karana one indivisible intelligent and material cause of course 
If you're thinking a little more deeply about it, you will say Brahman is not the cause of the universe because there is ultimately no universe at all. Uh, Brahman alone exists. But as far as the universe is concerned, we have this world in which, which we inhabit. Um, so if you want an explanation, Vedanta, or in fact, any kind of religion gives an explanation that there is a deeper reality, an ultimate reality, which is appearing or which has become this material reality. Vedanta says that ultimate reality, Brahman, appears as this material reality. And that ultimate reality, Brahman, is both material cause and intelligent cause. This mantra points out that Brahman is the intelligent cause. Now we are talking about Brahman in what sense? Saguna Brahman, Ishwara, the god of religion. Why? The moment you talk about the creation of a universe, creator, then immediately you're talking about Brahman as God, as, as a theistic god, a god of theistic religions. Now here, in the second mantra, Yadidam Kincha Jagat Sarvam, this entire universe, starting from the tiniest of quarks to the most massive quasars, um, from the physical universe and the biological universe that our bodies are all living beings, stars and planets, to the subtle universe within our minds, thoughts, emotions, desires, mind and intellect, and um, so the subtle universe. All of this has come from Brahman. So here the word prana is used. Now here prana does not mean the vital force or breath, you know, like in pranayama, not in that sense. Here prana means Brahman. I said, Swami, you're forcing things to mean something else. No. The commentator, Shankaracharya, also agrees. He says, prane parasmin brahmani sati. Prana here is parabrahman, Brahman itself. The entire universe, Nishritam, has emerged. Has emerged. How did it emerge? Kraitaitya Upanishad says, from that Atman, from that pure being emerges the void, the sky. From the sky emerges um, uh, wind or air. From air emerges fire. From fire, water. From water, earth. And then they all mix up and form this physical unit, the old cosmology. Tasmadva etasmad atmana akasha sambhuta akashat vayu vayu ragnir agnir apa adhya prithivi. So from that Atman emerges Akasha. From Akasha emerges um, Vayu, wind. From Vayu emerges fire, Agni. And from fire emerges water. From water emerges earth. So this is Taittiri Upanishad. This was sort of the shared cosmology of most ancient civilizations. So this is how the entire universe, he says, Nistritam has emerged from Brahman, from Saguna Brahman. Why would, from pure being, why would, uh, sky and earth and fire, all of this emerge mm. um, from being itself. Why would exist why, from existence itself? Why would existing things emerge? Why? Uh, like uh, a mind. Fine, there's a mind, but why would it start dreaming? There is a movie screen, but why would it suddenly start showing you movies? So, because the potentiality is there. The potentiality is called Maya. In Maya, the, the seeds are already there. And those are manifested. Because of Maya, the Atman, Brahman, appears as sky. Appears. That's the Advaitic, more precise Advaitic way of looking at it. And then the evolution takes place within the appearance. Um, and then what does it do? 
having appeared, ejati vibrates. So, if you ask a Vedantin, the Upanishad, the Lord of Death, Yama, what is this universe? It's just vibrating. What happens when the, all the elements of this universe emerge? Well, they emerge and they start vibrating. What's going on in this universe? Vibration. The primal, primordial elements are vibrating and that's what we see as the sky and the earth, as cities and villages, as uh, human beings and animals and plants. It's all vibration of matter. So it vibrates and it vibrates in patterns. There are laws and regularity here. It's not chaos. Shankaracharya in his commentary says, Prachalati niyamena cheshtate. The entire universe proceeds forth and niyamena in regularity, in law, in patterns, the, the uh, activity of the universe is spread out. This is creation. This is the creation of, or in Sanskrit, srishti, which is projection. What accounts for the regularity? Why would this pure being appear as this universe? Because of maya. Uh, if you ask why maya, well, there's no answer to that because why is included within maya. The causality is within maya. Why does this proceed in a regular fashion? Because of causality, cause and effect. This universe is guided by causality. So there is, um, there are laws of this universe. Why should these laws be there at all? It is because there's the big boss. He says there is Brahman, Saguna Brahman, Ishwara. Um, out of fear of Ishwara, Mahat Bhayam. Shankaracharya says, uh, Mahat Bhayam, he says, Mahat Chab Tad Bhayam Chab. The vast, Mahat is the vast. Brahman, the word Brahman literally means vast. Vast means unlimited. It's not a one thing among many things. It is the unlimited reality which appears as well this limited universe. So it is vast. And what else is it? Bhayamcha. It is, it is terror. It is fear. Why is it fear or terror? Because of the uplifted thunderbolt. As if it is holding an uplifted thunderbolt. So, Mahad Bhayam. Uh, and then he says, those who know this, they become immortal. But little bit about fear. The universe appears from Brahman. And there is regularity and law in this universe. Why is there regularity and law at all? Because it is enforced. This law in the universe, the laws of nature are enforced by Brahman, by this there's an intelligence behind all of this. And that explains why this universe follows laws, all the physical laws which we know. See, here a question may be raised that this is the old religious thinking which has been, which is, has been brought into doubt by modern science. Mod science would say, yes, there are laws in this universe. That's what we are studying and we're trying to discover them. But nowhere do we find evidence or even the need of a, of a supreme intelligence to guide those laws. Those laws are self-regulated. They, they don't need um, a police or a, a thunderbolt-wielding deity to uh, you know, impose terror and regulate the laws. Um, so who was that scientist? He was someone, someone by the French emperor and uh, said that uh, it was asked by the emperor in your treatise in science was it pascal why have you not mentioned god and the scientist said i have no use for that hypothesis i have no use for that hypothesis who was that pascal or 
Laplace. Laplace, yes, I think so, yes. I have no use for that hypothesis. The scientist will say when he reads this, what Yama has said, the whole universe is regulated by laws. No doubt, we agree there. But behind the laws is God with a raised thunderbolt scaring all the universe into obeying the laws of God. Scientists will say, it's a hypothesis and I have no need for such a hypothesis because the laws seem to function very well. Um, if it was otherwise, if there was any clear need for an intelligence to guide those laws, all our school textbooks would say when they teach uh, physics and chemistry and biology, all chapters would end with that uh, all of this is true, but it's because God is threatening every, uh, the, the universe with a thunderbolt. No. Um, so that's where this um, uh, idea of a, a lawful universe, but the laws are enforced by a deity and also a scary deity behind everything is, uh, is not at all persuasive uh, to modern thinkers, scientists, and philosophers. Let's look a little bit deeper into this. Um, first of all, in our human world, fear is indeed important. Fear is a decisive force. Um, in our society, uh, for example, we are good in great measure because the good is enforced by law, by police, by um, legal um, sanction by um, threatened punishment uh, penalties and that's why we are good in most societies across the world even the most advanced societies you remove the police and the army for a few days and you see what uh, chaos the city uh, descends into um, in the Adhyasa Bhashya Shankaracharya's masterful introduction to the Brahma Sutras he uses this language. He says, Pashwadi Avisheshat. For the most part, people, human beings, thinking, educated human beings, are no different from animals. How are they no different from animals? He explains. He says there, Shankaracharya in the Adhyasa Bhashya, he says there that Danda Udyatakaram Purusham, that means a man coming. Uh, with a raised stick, like the thunderbolt, like the raised thunderbolt, a man coming with a raised uh, stick. The cow runs away from this man. And harita trena purna, that means uh, with a handful of green grass, if you approach the cow, the cow comes towards you. So the cow recognizes, here is temptation, uh, green grass, and I'm going to go towards the temptation. And here is terror, pain, because the man is coming to beat me with a stick. I'll run away from the stick. And this instinctive behavior in an animal is copied by human beings, is replicated by human beings. We, even with all our intelligence, our culture, we tend to be attracted by temptation and repelled or scared by terror. So terror and temptation guide our lives. I am reminded many years ago, I think it was about... 20 years ago, um, not 20 exactly, about 18 years ago, um, in Haridwar, I was sitting with this monk and studying, a group of people were there, a traditional monk. He was teaching uh, Vedanta in Hindi. And uh, Advaita Vedanta, non-dual discussions were going on. Suddenly, somebody asked a question which seemed to be irrelevant. 
असली शिक्षा क्या है गुरुजी बताइए टेल एस व्हाट्स रियल एजुकेशन टेल एस व्हाट्स रियल एजुकेशन एंड स्टिल रिमेंबर सम ऑफ अस लुक्ड अराउंड विथ यू नो लिटिल इरिटेशन बिकॉज द क्वेश्चन वॉज नॉट डिरेक्टली रेलिवेंट टू नॉन डुअल फिलोसफी वॉट्स रियली एजुकेशन बट द टीचर Um, I can tell his name, Ramanand Saraswati, who has passed now. A very great monk, traditional teacher of Vedanta, wandering monk, traditional wandering monk. His answer was instantaneous, and it was so Vedantic, non-dualistic. I mean, from from his he quoted from the Adhyasa Bhashya. This portion, which I just quoted to you, that portion he quoted. Question was, what is truly education? He said, education is that which enables us to rise above the level of animals. normally we are attracted like the cow with a grass of uh, with a handful of green grass we go towards that and with the threaten with a man with a upraised stick we run away from the cow runs away from that and human beings also operate that way what is education when i know better uh, because of my education then and i am guided by my education i'm not tempted uh, by uh, the promise of pleasure and i am not scared by the threat of pain but i do what is what i know to be right what i have learnt is right true and good and that is true education which is really great i thought and and uh, he quoted directly from the shankara bhashya commentary of uh, adi shankaracharya education is that which helps us to overcome fear but until that time it cannot be um, um denied that though fear is a bad thing but fear is a factor in maintaining human civilization in training human beings even in um, you know education so there is a threat of penalty and punishment in religion too in religion too that's why we have the english phrase god fearing man god fearing man why would you fear god because of god is uh, of the upraised thunderbolt he says vajradhyatakaram of the upraised thunderbolt religions in you know texts like the old testament religions some parts of judaism christianity or islam they stress the awesome nature of god the wrath filled god the fear of god now god loving man is much better than god fearing man love of god is far better and far superior it's much better to teach the love of god rather than the fear of god however these religions are not wrong they are simply stating a fact god is awesome <laughs> god not in the devalued sense of the awesome which is used in america everything is awesome <laughs> a cookie is also awesome no but god is not awesome like a cookie god is truly truly awesome and god can also be truly truly scary in the bhagavad gita itself when arjuna sees he asks for the vision of god but when he actually sees the cosmic uh, yes all inspiring so the cosmic form of god vishwarupa darshana what happens what happens is arjuna does he feel uh, sublime does he feel inspired no he is scared he is terrified his reaction is terror and he begs uh, krishna to take back that vision to take it away and appear before him as a human being again so it is true that in our unregenerate form the divine can inspire terror in us but that terror is good for us because it pulls us out of our limited um, mortal you know sense of priorities and awakens us to the reality that god exists and god is 
uh, awe-inspiring uh, and indeed even terrifying. Of course, above that and beyond that, God is our very own and lovable uh, and loving. Um, the moral laws, somebody might argue that, uh, yes, yes, that's true, but these moral laws, you can break these moral laws. Uh, these are not like the laws of nature, physics, which we were talking about earlier. Those cannot be broken. These laws can be broken. And that's why fear of God is necessary to make you uh, to enforce these laws. And the laws of the police, the legal laws, they can be broken. That's why police and courts and jail is necessary to enforce these laws. Um, but I like that saying, you know, moral, ethical laws. It's not that you can break these laws with impunity. Rather, we can we break ourselves against these laws. So by repeatedly so-called trying to violate laws of honesty, self-control, of unselfishness, you know, we try to do that, we damage ourselves more and more. And so you, know, you, you cannot break moral laws, you can break yourself against these moral laws. Um, one more thought before I go on to the next topic. But what about this universe? What about the laws of the universe? The laws of, by which the stars and the planets stay on their courses. Shankaracharya will talk about stars and planets staying on their courses. Um, so is it because as if with an upraised thunderbolt they're being threatened? Um, not, not likely, not, not in that sense. However, it's science is not the last word on it that uh, you know these laws are self-regulating and self-promoting, self-maintaining. You don't need a thunderbolt behind them to you know, enforce these laws. But I'm often reminded of this saying some scientists talk about it. Stephen Hawking also says we we know how to describe the universe with these mathematical equations. But then he says, but who put the fire in the equations? There's a phrase. If you Google it, you will find fire in the equations. That, yes, these laws are there, and that describes this universe. So that's a structure being described by mathematics. But why does it exist at all? Why does it exist at all? Who puts the fire in the equation? Who makes it real? So there, still the question remains. Um, I'll leave it at that. And just that the whole question is, that uh, deity, the, uh, by the fear of deity, there is an intelligence, a power controlling this universe. And that doesn't seem convincing to uh, modern thought or scientists and uh, philosophers today. Shankaracharya's commentary here, he says, he gives an example. Yatha vajram udyatakaram swaminam abhimukhi bhutam drishtva vritya niyamena tat shasane vattante. Just as when the, the servants, uh, they see the master with the thunderbolt upraised and they, they carefully stick to their tasks because they are scared of getting a beating if, if they don't do their work. Um, are punished tatha, just like that idam, then he says chandra, aditya, graha nakshatra, tarakadi, lakshanam jagat freshwaram, niyame nakshanam nakshanam api avishrantam vartate exactly in the same way this entire universe full of 
constellations and stars and planets and suns and moons they whirl around you know on their allotted paths and tasks um, um, because of the presence of this great deity ishwara god saguna brahman uh, as if with a raised thunderbolt you might say it's a very gross example primitive example you know it sounds like one of those ancient slave masters you know like in egypt you get the 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 picture in your mind of the slaves making the pyramids and the slave master standing with the whips or sticks and the poor slaves working away day and night because of the presence of the slave master with the raised stick or the whip not so different today not so different it's just that the um the, the slave masters have got much more subtle thunderbolts they are now what are they uh, somebody showed me in san francisco look this is the well the, the it is called i think salesforce or something a company is there with some software which will monitor minute to minute um, use of the time of the employees yeah. all for good reasons we are paying you so you are minute to minute your activity online activity what you are doing how you are spending your time uh, everything is monitored what is that software it is the upraised thunderbolt <laughs> which is controlling uh, as shankaracharya says exactly like that they stick to their tasks moment to moment because of the upraised thunderbolt of uh, of the software recently i think some company is it amazon or some other company the uh, employees complained even their bathroom time was being monitored it was in the news so this is more efficient than ancient slave masters with their thunderbolts and sticks and whips this modern thunderbolt of software monitoring of your uh, what what is it your uh, at home work you're working at home but then there is another group of people who are monitoring how you are working and how you are how much time you are spending actually uh, on your allotted task Uh, so it's not all that different there is an intelligence monitoring you and in place of the old thunderbolt there are new software tools to monitor us then he says what about vedanta what does vedanta have to do with this this sounds like old time religion you know there is a god and god created the universe and god is monitoring everything in the universe fine what do i have to do with it those who know this that that deity behind this universe because of which the entire universe is functioning from which the entire universe has come and because of which the entire universe is functioning vibrating um, those who know it they go beyond death they attain immortality they become free of the cycle of birth and death but how how what do you mean no how will i know it and how will that knowledge set me free from death how will it set me free from fear and the thunderbolt so shankaracharya explains ya etad viduhu this is the commentary of shankaracharya those who know this know this how swatma pravritti sakshi bhutam ekam brahma swatma here atma means mind swatma pravritti sakshi bhutam ekam those who know this brahman as the one witness of all the activities of our mind so the mind right now it's thinking enjoying hurting 
remembering, forgetting, desiring, active, brilliant, dull, sleepy. All these activities of the mind, all the time, they are illumined by one consciousness. And you realize that one. But who is that one consciousness? It's you. Right now it's you. Isn't it? If you, if you do the Vedantic analysis, here is the body. I am the witness of the body. I am not the body. Here is the mind. I am the witness of the mind. I am not the mind. Mind is there. Here is the intellect, which is doing all this thinking. I am the witness. I am aware of the activities of the intellect. I illumine the activities of the intellect, but I am not the intellect. It's an instrument. Then that one consciousness, which illumines the activity of the intellect, mind, senses, body, and the absence of the activities of the mind, senses, intellect, and body, all are illumined. Activity and absence of activity are illumined by this one consciousness, which you are. Once you realize this, and then you appreciate the limitlessness of that consciousness. See, once I realize I am the witness consciousness, the next step is easier. The real big step is to see that I am not body-mind. And then know myself as the witnessing, illumining consciousness. Once I know that, the next step only would be to see that this consciousness is free. It has no problems. It has no birth or death. It is not limited by anything. It's limitless. It is Brahman. Atman is Brahman. Moment we realize this, it's done. It's done only because nothing needed to be done. You realize that you always were free as that witness consciousness, as that infinite consciousness. You were always free of birth and death. What is born? The body is born. What ages? The body ages. What falls sick? Body and prana they fall sick. What recovers? The body recovers. And what ultimately dies? The body dies. Even the mind doesn't die. The mind, the subtle body, mind, intellect, memory, the subtle body continues from lifetime to lifetime. It will last as long as we are in samsara. We are in that tree. So that will go on. But even that one, what is the one which is frustrated? Mind. What is the one which um, enjoys? suffers mind not awareness awareness reveals the experience of or makes possible the experience of enjoying suffering desiring remembering forgetting even understanding vedantic understanding all of that is enabled because you are that one consciousness enabling the intellect to do all that so the consciousness is free of all the problems of body senses mind intellect and all of that this ever-free consciousness is what we realize. Knowledge. We do. He says knowledge. It is worth considering, you know. The first sutra of the Brahma Sutras is Athato Brahma Jigyasa. Hence, therefore, an inquiry into Brahman. That's the beginning of the Brahma Sutras. The first sutra of 555 sutras. Hence, therefore, inquiry into Brahman. What hence is and what therefore is, page after page of discussion is necessary for that. But for today, I just want to focus on one word. Jigyasa, inquiry. Inquiry into what? Brahman. An inquiry into Brahman. Have you ever thought, I mean, if you study the Brahma Sutras, why inquiry into Brahman? That sounds like a, like a minor thing. Why not? Realization of Brahman, why not attaining Brahman? Why not God realization, God attainment, getting God, you know, attaining to God? Why not such grand things? Why just inquiry into Brahman? Inquiry seems to be a not a very a very big deal. Because attaining Brahman is not possible. You are Brahman. It would be a wrong project. 
You are already Brahman. Going to Brahman is not possible because you are already Brahman. It's already attained. What we need is to remove the misconception that we are not Brahman. We are not Brahman is a misconception. This has to be removed. A wrong idea. We have to remove what is required is not attaining the rope. It, what is required is removing the, the error of a snake. And how do you remove error? You remove error by removing the ignorance about reality. All error is corrected by truth. And where does truth come from? Truth comes from inquiry. So inquiry into Brahman. This is a subtle point, but very important. What is the spiritual project at the highest? Remember, I'm not denying the importance of karma yoga, bhakti yoga, dhyana, that raja yoga. Meditation is important. Devotion is important. Selfless work, even rituals. All of those are important in their own place. They have their role to play. But at the final, the crux of the whole spiritual project is this inquiry into what's real, what especially about myself. Not trying to attain something. Anything that is attained will be lost. So, um, it is to realize the truth about ourselves and the truth will set us free. Then, developing this theme, and he points out, you to realize the truth about yourself. How do you realize the truth about yourself? Look at the mind. Yes, what do, what do we see in the mind? Thoughts, feelings, emotions, coming and going, memories, sense of ego. All of those. So, Atma, Pravritti, all the activities of the mind. Mind, intellect, memory, ego. Sakshi Bhutam. The consciousness. Ekam. It's one. Thoughts are many. Perceptions are many. Emotions are many. But consciousness is always one. That one you realize to be Brahman, the reality of the universe. Then it's done. Amritate Bhavanti. You go beyond death. Next. Developing on the same theme, Yama, the Lord of Death, says, Bhayadasya Gnistapati Bhayadapati Suryaha Bhayad Indrascha Vayuscha Mrityudhavati Panchamaha From fear of Brahman, fire burns. From fear of uh, Brahman, shines the sun. From fear, run Indra and air. And death, the fifth. So the deities who are in charge of various natural phenomena, the gods with small g, uh, they are all doing the duties. The, they're running this universe, uh, but out of fear of the of God, God with capital G. Why? Because remember, appraised thunderbolt, sort of symbolic. Because of the presence of God, the sheer awe-inspiring presence of God, everybody is running around doing their duties tirelessly. Agnistapati, fire gives light and heat. Why? Because of fear of Brahman. Sun gives heat and light. Why? Because of fear of Brahman. Indra, the, the king of the gods, and Vayu, the mighty god of wind, they are all... Um, doing their functions because of fear of Brahman. And Mrityu Dhavati Panchama. Even I, the god of death, the god of death, I'm running. I'm running to do my work because God is observing. Um, god is watching 
all all our activities out of sheer fear of brahman out of the terror the awe inspired by the presence of god god with capital g saguna brahman ishwara the same topic is being developed here then the next uh, mantra ihache dashakat bodhum praksharirasya visrasaha tata sargeshu lokeshu sharirattvaya kalpate fourth mantra let me see how swami gambhiranji translates it if one succeeds in realizing here before the falling of the body one becomes freed else because of that failure one becomes fit for embodiment in the world of creatures so this we have heard earlier you realize that you are brahman said if ihaced if you realize that we are brahman we um become free of samsara we are set free from that awful tree of samsara that is cut down for us my at least my own personal samsara is cut down from us and i am freed of it and um you to do it praksharirasya vistrasaha before death the kena upanishad which we will study eventually it says ihachedavedit atasatyam asti nachedihavedit mahati vinashti in this very life if you realize your real nature your brahman hence there is truth that means you you are centered in reality or free from samsara if we do not realize the truth while we are in this life great is the destruction great is the loss this human life is meant for illumination for realization and freedom from samsara and if we do not use this if we uh, waste our human life then it's a great great loss it's a disaster um what will happen then tata sargeshu lokeshu sharirattvaya kalpate it means one will go on to attain other bodies in other lives and not only that when the worlds are created very poetic sargeshu lokeshu when the worlds are created and so we will become free at the end of this universe billions and billions years hence when the whole entire universe merges with brahman we will become one with god and we something like that no even then you merge back into the jeevas will merge back the tendencies everything will be preserved merges back into a causal form into prakriti into maya and again when the sargeshu location the worlds are created the universes are created again in the next cycle we are sent out back to play uh, we are sent back into the tree of samsara that that tree again so there is no way out until you become enlightened and you must get enlightened here here before the destruction of this body now a question might arise what about other places i mean i'll try here i know i'll try but i don't think i'm going to become enlightened so can i continue this project sort of carry it over into you know after death if i go to heaven and places like that um what's it like are um, do we have you know like teachers and vedanta books there and uh, connectivity and zoom wifi is there or not in heaven so can i attend the zoom classes from there also in heaven uh, after death uh, is that possible and yama actually answers this question he takes up the next question what about other places apart from human birth can i attain enlightenment there i understand can't do it in animal births uh, because the equipment is not good enough the hardware will not run the vedanta app software but what about higher births 
Upanishads and Gita and all they talk about other worlds and better worlds than this. Surely one can be spiritual in other worlds also. After death, I'm a pretty good person and I've been doing, uh, uh, you know, I've led a decent life and I'm spiritual. So I'm sure after death, I won't go to hell. I'll go to heaven. And can I carry on my spiritual practices in heaven? It's a serious question. Then he gives a famous answer here. Uh, Yama. So Yama knows what happens after death. So he tells us. Yatha darshe tatha atmani, yatha swapne tatha pitriloke, yatha psupari vadadrishe, tatha gandharva loke, chaya tapori vabrahmaloke. As one sees in a mirror, so in one's intellect, as in a dream, so in the world of the manes, that's the forefathers. As it is seen in water, so in the world of the gandharvas, as it is seen in the case of shade and light. So in the world of Brahma, Brahmaloka. What does this mean? So what he says here is, right now, in this world, as a Vedanta student, if you become enlightened, it will be like seeing your face in a mirror. As we see our face very clearly in a polished, clean mirror, so will enlightenment be here. You realize, I am Brahman. It's as clear as that here, and you will be set free. What about other worlds? After death, one goes to what is called Pitriloka. There are different heavens, which according to the merits which we have gained, we go to, this is the world of the forefathers. Our ancestors, fathers and mothers have gone to uh, those worlds. And they stay there for a while, depending on their past good karma. And these worlds are of different gradations. So can I become enlightened in that world? I promise to you know keep listening to the in the Zoom classes there also. He says, unfortunately, yatha swapne. You can, but it will be like a dream, not clear. As it is vague and unstable in a dream, whatever we see. And why are things vague and unstable in a dream? Remember what's a, what a dream is constructed of. Thought, mind activity. And look at our minds just now. How fickle and unstable they are. So they are, um, they keep generating uh, images, experiences that's our dream and our uh, realization grasp on self-knowledge even if it comes in a dream it'll still be vague and unstable it will not be as clear as seeing your face in a mirror so it's not not a particularly good state to be enlightened in why shankaracharya will explain here he says karma phala upabhoga satatvat so after death, you are in heaven, one, one kind of heaven. Because of good karma, those places are fun places. And because they are fun places, we are engaged in uh, having fun. Karma phala upabhoga. Attached to the, in, the experience of the results of our past good karma. So because it's a nice place, pleasant place, things are very nice. There's really no time and uh, you know, the inquiry is not sharp enough. And the results also are vague and fleeting. So uh, spirituality gained in the heavens will be like a dream. Fickle, uh, not strong, not clear. There are other worlds apart from the uh, heavens in our which our forefathers did. There are specialized worlds. In the Taittiriya Upanishad, in other places on the Vedas, they come a whole description in, um, you know, 
multiple layers of heavens, heaven after heaven after heaven. 14 words we talk about, seven of which are hellish and seven are heavenly. Um, so one of the words is mentioned here. Gandharva loke, tatha Gandharva loke, yathapsu parivada drishe. In the world of the Gandharvas, if you become spiritual, it's like seeing your Atman, realizing that I am Brahman. It's like seeing your face in moving water. Again, not clear. Uh, not, uh, not clearly delineated. So what is the world of the Gandharvas? The Gandharvas are celestial musicians. Because they are super cultivated. Art and music and you know dance. This is what the Gandharvas keep doing uh, all the time. So um, it's a bit like, these are not just run-of-the-mill ancestors. These are highly cultivated people. People who have cultivated um, you know, classical music to a very high degree, like that. They have extremely high musical sense or artistic sense. So after death also, they, uh, they attain to a super rarefied world of celestial artisan, uh, artists, Gandharvas. He right here is a very famous um, Juilliard school of music, classical music. It's one of the best schools of classical music in the world. So uh, imagine... The Gandharva, the world of the Gandharvas is a perpetual Juilliard school. You know, they're, they're always immersed in uh, music and dance and all of that. So can one become spiritual there? You can, but again, it's not clear. It's vague. It's like seeing your reflection in moving water. And if the water is polluted or dirty, the reflection becomes even worse. It's unsteady and it's not clear. So self-realization will not be clear and will be unsteady in the world of the Gandharvas. Then, what about the highest of all heavens? The final, the greatest, Brahmaloka, where you are in the presence of God himself. So there, it has been promised, one can get enlightenment. And Yama says, you're right, you can get enlightenment there. Chaya Taporiva, like light and darkness. In Brahmaloka, the enlightenment is absolutely clear. And it is the best conditions. You have um, 5G connectivity and... Um, God himself is your guru and uh, uh, you have the best Vedanta library and all of that is there and you are also focused, very ready and receptive and you get enlightenment just like that and, and very clear. So that's the best place except, except this is Brahmaloka we are talking about and one attains this through enormous merit, lifelong prayer and devotion, a very devout life and at the time of death, one has to remain completely absorbed in the thought of God. And then you attain to this heaven, the, the, to the presence of God. These are the heavens talked about in religions, this Brahma Loka. When you say, I'm not talking about the fun heavens, I'm talking about a spiritual heaven. I go and live in the presence of God. Yes, that's what Vedanta calls Brahma Loka. I go and live in the presence of uh, Vishnu, Narayana, Shiva, Father in heaven, Allah. Or even the Buddhists who don't talk about God, they talk about the pure land uh, after death. Uh, Brahma, uh, the Ramakrishna Loka, we talk about it in our tradition. So this is definitely uh, extremely exalted. And there, what about the knowledge of Brahman? I am Brahman. That also you will get there pretty easily. Except that it's rare and difficult. It's really, really difficult. And uh, uh, therefore, in this human birth, where you can realize Brahman and very clearly like seeing your face in a mirror, 
uh, one one should try to become enlightened here. That's the point of the whole uh, mantra. Shankaracharya says, what is it like in human birth? Human birth is rare, but we have already got it. I just said Brahmaloka is rare and difficult, but so is human birth. And the thing is, we have already got a human birth. He says, Yatha Loke, Shankaracharya says, as in this world, Atyanta Viviktam. He says, Atha Adarshe, in the mirror, Atyanta Viviktam. Very clearly delineated and with clarity, you see your own reflection. Iha Atman is in one's own mind or intellect. Adarshabat, just like a clear mirror. Nirmali Bhutayam. Purified intellect, purified mind. The mind has to be purified. Viviktam atmano darshanam bhavati. A clear realization of the self. I am Brahman. It is possible. It's possible in this mind. This is called sadhyomukti. Sadhyomukti is immediate realization and liberation. You, you realize you are Brahman, you are liberated now. And this results in twofold liberation. One is um, one is called Jivan Mukti. As long as this body mind apparatus continue, you are the enlightened one, embodied body mind. From our perspective, you know you are Brahman. You know it doesn't matter to you whether you are embodied or not. But from for us, you are the most venerated, liberated one, and the source of spiritual knowledge and blessings. So you continue like that for a while, and then this body goes away, as its prarabdha karma is over, it dies, and you. Then it is what is called Videha Mukti. Videha Mukti, that you remain as infinite existence consciousness, placed as Brahman. Both of these are called Sadhya Mukti, straight away, liberation here and now. If we do not attain to that, then the other kind of moksha, liberation, is called Krama Mukti, sequential liberation. I go from here, not liberated, but highly spiritual, highly devoted, by the grace of God, attain to the abode of God. The Brahma Loka. And from there, by the grace of God and uh, attaining enlightenment, who knows when, uh, in a far future, I become enlightened and attain freedom there. So that's the Krama Mukti, sequential liberation. And the Upanishads speak about that also. But why not now? Why not here? Let's, we, the Upanishads all strongly recommend here, here, now, now. Iha, he says, Iha che. If only in this life, here itself, become enlightened. Brahman is available here. You are Brahman. Shankaracharya, he says, he says, Brahman Loka, you can get it. He says, such a dushprapa atyanta vishishta karma jnana sadhyatva. It's really difficult. And it requires very specialized karma jnana. Karma means ritual, ritualistic life of Vedic ritualistic performances, strictly done, pure life. Jnana here means uh, meditation, upasana. Uh, a holy life of service and meditation, let's put it in a very general term, uh, then only one is, and again, of course, by the grace of God. Dasmat, therefore, what's the upshot of it all? What's the point of it all? Atma darshanaya ihaiva yatna kartavya. Try here itself. Atma darshanaya for realization of the self. Ihaiva. Work hard here itself. All right. I won't go to the next mantra because he will again summarize the technique for self-realization in the next mantra. But let's just take a look at the comments.
Sri Ram says, world is an appearance and it is the ultimate anubhav upon realization. World is Brahman is an intermediate teaching to appease sadhakas. No, no, no. The other way around. Brahman is the only reality that is the ultimate realization. World is an appearance. It's false. It's mithya. It's an intermediate teaching in order to help us to realize um, uh, uh, realize Brahman. Why? If you say world is an appearance and that's the ultimate uh, anubhava experience. No, it's not like saying, it's not like the snake is, the, is false, is the ultimate realization. No, snake is false is the teaching given to us to make us realize the rope is real. What are we left with? We are left with a real rope. We are not left with a false snake. At the end of our inquiry, similarly, at our end of our Vedantic inquiry, we are left with Brahman, I am Brahman, not with a false word. Not only that, after realization that, uh, that I am Brahman, you can even say the world is real. That's the amazing thing. Ramana Maharshi says that who can say that the world is real? He says only the enlightened one can say the world is real. That is surprising for us because we think the, it's ignorant people, worldly people who say the world is real. Worldly people don't even know what the world is. They have no idea of the ultimate reality and they live, it's like living in a dream, in a, it's like a sleepwalking. When you snap out of it, you realize the world is an appearance and there is an underlying reality, which is Brahman. And then you transcend that also. And then only Brahman is, is there. So whatever you think as the world is nothing but Brahman and Brahman is real. In that sense, the world is also real as Brahman. After all, what is the essence of Advaita Vedanta? Brahma Satyam, Jagat Mithya, Jiva Brahmaivanapara. Brahman is real, the world is an appearance. And you, the sentient being, you are none other than Brahman. In that sense, the world is also none other than Brahman. But that teaching in the beginning, that the world is none other than Brahman, the world is real, is not helpful. It helps to realize that the world is an appearance and there is an underlying reality, which is Brahman, and I am that. After that, the world will continue to appear. You will see it as Brahman. And you can say happily it's real. It, Brahman alone exists. That is the Vijnana of Sri Ramakrishna. He talks about it. After, uh, when Sri Ramakrishna was asked, is the world false? He says, no, no, why should the world be false? That, he doesn't say it's, the world is real. He says that is a stage in Vedantic inquiry, in Advaitic inquiry. So it's a stage. Falsity of the world is a stage in Advaitic inquiry to make you realize the truth. What does this stage do? What purpose does the teaching of the falsity of the world serve? It serves two purposes. One, to take our mind away from the world, from people and uh, objects in the world, from our mind also. Subtle desires and frustrations and uh, you know, cravings takes it, our attention is taken away from that. If it's an appearance, if it's false, why am I chasing this? Or why am I being bothered by it at all? I'm not bothered by or not neither do I chase something I see in a movie, right? So, it develops vairagya, develops dispassion. Vairagya or dispassion is very important for Advaita Vedanta, a primary condition. So the teaching of the falsity of the world immediately develops vairagya, if you grasp that teaching. But a deeper meaning of the teaching of falsity of the world is there, much deeper meaning. What does falsity of X mean? It means that something is not X, it's actually Y. What does the teaching that you're seeing a snake? Yes. Well, the snake is false. The reality is a rope. The one might ask, 
The snake is false. The reality is the rope. Where is the real rope? The moment you say snake is false, what does it mean? It's not really a snake. It's really a rope. Where is the real rope? There itself, where you're seeing the snake. Why? Because it's a false snake. Really, it's a rope. Similarly, if I say um, world is an appearance, then um, uh, what does it mean? Then what's real? Brahman is real. Okay, where is this real Brahman? Those who say world is real in itself, they'll have to say Brahman is in, in heaven, somewhere else. But Advaita Vedanta points out that reality which you are experiencing as the world is really speaking, it is Brahman. Here itself, look around you. What appears to you in, in form, in sound, in smell, in taste, in touch, in thought and emotion, all of which we are re relating as if it's the world, it should be recognized here itself is Brahman. You are immersed in the ocean of Brahman. There's an ancient text, Paramarthasar, um, where um, Patanjali is actually teaching. Patanjali or Kapila? Kapila, I think, is teaching. Very ancient text. It starts with this verse which says, the condition of sentient beings is so pitiable. They are immersed in the ocean of nectar. They do not see it. They are chasing the water of a mirage for quenching their thirst. So you are immersed in the water which will quench your thirst. You don't see it. But what you are seeing is the water of a mirage, that tree of samsara. And we are chasing it continuously. Because that's what we are seeing. There no water is there. And we are trying to quench our thirst with that. So that one is false. It's a mirage. That's the teaching of Jagat Mithya, falsity. What is the water of the mirage? Jagat, world, samsara. Where is the reality? You're immersed in it all the time. You're Brahman. You're limitless existence. You're limitless consciousness. You are bliss itself. Whatever little pleasure, uh, bliss you're finding in the world is borrowed from you. So that is the teaching of the falsity of the world. It does these two things. It um, generates vairagya, dispassion. You can be cool and calm about the world, ups and downs in the world. In the midst of it, in the midst of all actions, you can be peaceful. Because vairagya, dispassion is there. Second, it points out where Brahman is. It reveals to you, if this world is false, false means then what is it really? Uh, dualism, what dualism does is that here is this world, it's real. And there is another reality I must tell you about that's called God. So if God is a real thing and this world is also real, then this world is not God. It's a real world. Then where is God? It's somewhere else, heaven. Then you have a duality. There is a spiritual world and a secular world. A sacred world and a secular world. There is a heaven and an earth. But in non-duality, there is only one reality, which is divinity, which is existence consciousness place. And that's right here, right now. And the way to realize it, so do I have to look at the world as false and then find out Brahman everywhere? No. Start with yourself. Because Jiva Brahmaivanapara. You are Brahman. Look into yourself through the techniques which will be taught to you. Next mantra is there. And you will find that you are Brahman. Then you will see everything that you experience is Brahman. Michael Bird says, in the rope snake analogy, is Brahman the rope and the apparent world a snake? Or does Brahman transcend both the rope and the snake? With the latter, then what does the rope represent? Brahman, in the example, Brahman is supposed to be the rope and the world is um, uh, a world appearance is like the snake. 
And remember, after enlightenment, for example, the rope snake um, analogy, after we realize it's not a snake, it's a rope, we are not left with a real rope and a false snake. There's no more false snake anymore. It's just the rope. Similarly, after enlightenment, we are not left with a real Brahman and a false universe, like a shadow or something. There's only Brahman. I remember and asked this question to Swami Nirmuktanand. We have told this story earlier also. Upen Maharaj was a disciple of Swami Shivananda in Belurmat. He was sitting in the temple of Masharada one day. And I was a young monk. I went and bowed down to him. He was at that time 98 or 99 years old. I asked him, uh, in, my, in my view, in my opinion, he is one of the few whom I would consider, if not enlightened, fully enlightened, at least very advanced spiritually. So I asked him, how does the enlightened one see this world? And I swept my hand around like this, you know, the Ganga River is there, the Ganges is there. Then the temple of Vivekananda is in front of you. You're facing the lawn, the devotees are walking around. So how does the enlightened one see this world? Does the enlightened one see that there is Brahman and this world appears as a shadow in Brahman, as an appearance or something? Then he told me something very perceptive. He corrected my error. He said, in Bengali I'll translate, he said, No, why should that be? There is only one that is Brahman. It's not that there's Brahman and the world is like a shadow. Brahman alone exists. In the golden ornaments, in the clay pottery, are there two things? Is there clay and a pot? Vaguely. Is there gold and a necklace? Vaguely a necklace? No. There is gold and gold only. The name and form do not constitute a second shadowy thing apart from the gold. It is the gold which by the power of um, you know, ingenuity of the jeweler appears as a necklace. And you can call it a necklace and use it as a necklace, but it's nothing but gold. Similarly, by the, the extraordinary power of Maya, the same Brahman appears as this world. But it's through and through Brahman, after enlightenment. Before enlightenment, it is that upside-down tree. Terrible. Rick says, someone said to me, if you grant a science one miracle, the laws of nature exist at all, they can explain everything. Oh, yeah. So the laws of nature exist. That, that itself is the first and greatest miracle. Abhijit said, the laws of nature work well and are explained using science only after their emergence. Science is still unable to explain much about the emergence of the Big Bang. Its laws are propelled and manifested through space and time by the momentum of the initial emergence, much like a roller coaster travels through the course after accumulating the potential energy in initial time. Mm. Right, that's a good point. Uh, Gita Dev says, Swami Brahmananda is to tremble while going near Masharada. Is it the same reason? True, true. That's a very good example. Masharada, the simplest of women. And all, so affectionate and loving and so simple. Sri Ramakrishna at least displayed the glory of Samadhi and all the time different spiritual moods. Vivekananda was a formidable intellect, a great orator and a very energetic, dynamic person. You know, you could just be overwhelmed by his presence. But Ma Sharada was the quietest, kindest, gentlest person. And yet notice, the most spiritual of the lot around her, what they thought of her, one common thing was awe, which we as ordinary people won't feel. We feel that she's the most approachable. And then you know, the, uh, the, the most ordinary, it seems, of all of them. What did Sri Ramakrishna himself say about Ma Sharada? When I think it was Hridaya, 
Um, no. Uh, who was misbehaving with him? This. Uh, so he says to this this man that, look, say whatever you will to me, but be careful. Don't don't misbehave with that one, the one who lives there. That means the Nahabat where Masharada was living. If she but, um, he says once. Brahma, Vishnu, Maheshwara also cannot save you. Uh, so you have to be very careful in, in the presence of the power of the Devi, of the Divine Mother. Shiva is easily pleased. But uh, one has to be very careful in the worship of the Divine Mother. Brahmananda used to tremble like a child. So they, they are the most uh, spiritually developed of all. And they knew what Masharada was. She literally the mother of the universe. Everything here in this universe, every little thing depends on her. So they were, they were all, uh, most terrified. Vivekananda was most terrified of coming uh, close to the divine, uh, to the Holy Mother, and uh, Brahmananda also. They were like children before her, and they notice Vivekananda even thought nothing, not twice about making fun of Sri Ramakrishna. One day he was joking about Sri Ramakrishna, and one of his disciples, Vivekananda, a monk, uh, said. Is this proper, Swami? You are joking about Sri Ramakrishna. And Vivekananda said, so should I joke about you? Meaning thereby, even my joking and making fun will be about high, will be high spiritual themes. The object of my fun also will be nothing less than God. However, there is no instance anywhere that he ever made fun of uh, the Holy Mother or even came close to ever criticizing her or, or questioning her. Uh, even the simplest commands were taken without a single uh, question and immediately executed by Vivekananda, Brahmananda, Shivananda, the ones who really knew who she was. Um, Bhargava says, makes more sense or comfortably replace the word fear and terror with power. Yes. Abhijit. Since we are discussing Brahma Sutras, we have heard so much of the importance of Adhyasa Bhashya from you. It is possible to cover only the Adhyasa Bhashya after finishing Kata Upanishad before we start the next Upanishad. Now think about it. We will keep this class for Upanishads, but we might have a special class for Adhyasa Bhashya. So if you are interested, we can do that separately. It is really worth doing. It is a masterpiece. Rick. There's a verse. Certainly all fear is born of duality. How would you compare the use of fear in the case? Yes. Dvitiyadvai bhayam bhavati. Taitiri Upanishad says. From I think it's Taitiriya. Yatra udaram antaram kurite tasya bhayam bhavati. This is definitely Taitiri Upanishad. Whoever sees the slightest difference for that one, there is fear. If there is even the slightest existence of the other, there is fear. And that is primal. So how does this compare with the, this um, verse? It actually is, is very compatible. Because the moment we realize, I am Brahman, then the fear is gone out forever. As long as Brahman is the other, there will be fear. And that fear need not be a bad thing. It can start as the fear of God, the awe of God. Much better, uh, better to be afraid of God than to be afraid of the universe. Fear of God. Then it goes into, you know, the 
continuous feeling of the presence, the awesome presence, the power of God. Then closer, God is like a parent. Then closer, God is like a uh, like a master. Uh, well, first, God is like a master. I'm the servant. Then closer, God is like the parent. I'm the child. Um, or God is like a friend. I'm I'm a friend of God. Then God is like a parent. I'm the child, and so on. And towards the end, God is like the child, and I am the parent. You see how much close at every step you're coming closer and closer, and less and less fear, and fear goes away completely. Does the bhakta attain uh, only the bhakta attain Brahma Loka? No, anybody who's led this life of um, meditative and ritualistic life, karma uh, upasana, they will attain Brahma Loka, who have done it very seriously. But these people are also very devotional, and the devotees of God will also attain Brahma Loka. Priya says, what does the Sanskrit word Sadhya and Sadhya Mukti mean? Sadhya means immediate, straight away, right here. Mukti, right here. Sangeeta says, the magician, Thakur said, the magician alone is real, his magic show is unreal. Yes, Brahman alone is real, the magic show of Brahman is the universe, the world. So how does this work now with saying that the world too is real? In that sense that there's no more magic show. The, the example has to be changed now. Brahman alone exists. The magician alone exists. In that sense alone, the magic show is real. That is, it's nothing other than the magician. As even when one discovers the magician, the magic still cannot be termed real ultimately, right? Yes, that's true. You have to abandon that example. You have to see that Brahman alone exists. Brahman alone exists, but isn't Lesha Vidya necessary? Lesha Vidya is that little bit of ignorance which we sort of we say that that must remain over because of which the body of the Jivan Mukta continues. So this is something, uh, this is a post-Shankara development. But the question always arises, if ignorance is removed, enlightenment is achieved, you realize you are Brahman, why would you still continue as this human being? Why wouldn't everything disappear and you remain as infinite existence consciousness, please? And they will say that, no, because uh, though all the ignorance is removed and you realize everything is Brahman, a little bit remains which uh, propels this um, body forward until the prarabdha karma is exhausted. So that's one theory. Yes, a Nobel Prize was given to physicists who used quantum mechanics, quantum physics to show the world is not real, as real as it appears. There are a lot of cutting-edge physics, you know. Uh, it sounds a lot like uh, Vedanta. I asked What's his name? Brian Green, the cosmologist here at Columbia University who wrote that elegant universe made into a very beautiful PBS um, uh, documentary. He was launching his latest book, um, Until the End of Time, which is more metaphysics than physics, I think. <laughs> so I asked him about uh, Vedantic conclusions, the Sankhyan cosmology, and the latest developments in physics. And he said, what you have in Sankhya or Vedanta is not science, but it's a, like a poetic uh, rendering of the same truths. It seems to be the same thing, but put poetically. Shiva Priya says, everything is in Brahman, happening, reflecting in Brahman, hence it's only Brahman, it's the cause, reason of the universe. It's real or Brahman. Good. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Arpanamastu